This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the medical offices of renowned plastic surgeon Dr. Genesier. Visit Dr. Genesier. We'll do what it takes to give you the perfect face. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1960s Eyes Without a Face and 2016s don't breathe. It's a Father's Day special. It's our Father's Day episode. But before we get to the movies, how do we start the show, Kelsey? Slash cards. You want to give me your first question? Before she landed the role of Rachel on Friends, Jennifer Aniston starred in the first installment of what diminutive horror franchise? A Leprechaun. That is correct. We did a Leprechaun. Go listen to our show about it. Yep. It was part of our... Uh, St. Patrick's Day series of episodes? We did two of them, we right? We did two, two weeks. E- okay, yeah. All right, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. A young boy suspected of murder insists the killer is his new good guy doll, which may or may not be possessed by the soul of a serial killer in this 1988 film. I hate you. It's child's play. It's child's play, and you love me. Nope. <laughs> I, we're not watching it. I'm just bringing it up. Seriously, this question had, like, nothing else good in it. Do you know what Roger Corman film that Peter Fonda starred in about LSD? Who? Peter Fonda starred in what Roger Corman film about LSD, 1967? No idea. The Trip. It's like a lot of those questions on this card, so you should thank your lucky stars. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing people say anymore? Thank I your don't lucky think stars. so. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our first film, the classic As a reminder, that's movies that are over 20 years old. This one going all the way back to 1960, Eyes Without a Face, directed by Georges Franjou, written by Pierre Boileau and Thomas Narcé-Jacques, referred to as Boileau-Narcé-Jacques. It's a hyphenated name. They're two different people, but they're one person in the credits, apparently. (laughs) Jean Redon and Claude Sautet, that's all adapted from the novel by Jean Redon. And apparently there's a dialogue credit from Pierre Gascar. Mm. Lots of credits. And starring Pierre Brasseur, Alida Valli, and Juliette Meniel. Mm-hmm. I do not know French, and I'm sorry <laughs> if I butchered any of those names. <laughs> Kelsey, what is the premise of Eyes Without a Face? A plastic surgeon accidentally caused his daughter to be without a face. And so he does his best to give her a new face. (laughs) Very good. All right. This movie is available for free if you're a subscriber to Filmstruck, which I'm beginning to think we should be. Uh, We are not. They do have the entire Criterion Collection. It is available on the Criterion Collection. You can rent it for as little as $4 or buy it for as little as $15. Kelsey, should people 
watch this movie. If you are into, I mean, obviously you're into horror, you wouldn't be listening to this show. But if you're into, like, the history of horror, if you want to make sure that you have seen all the movies that kind of set precedence for a lot of things, then yes, you should. All right. And it is in French, so you will have to read subtitles. I'm sorry, folks. Yes, and for some reason they chose to film in black and white. Wasn't Psycho made around the same time? They chose to film in black and white for that. I know. It's an effect. Just, I'm just letting our listeners know. <laughs> Jesus. I would say if 3D ever kicked off, that would be the equivalent of people filming in 2D now. But 3D <laughs> never kicked off, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, as somebody might film in um, full screen instead of widescreen to give it a particular effect. You know, even though nobody does that, you do it because it stands out and because it has it gives you a particular effect. Also, at the time, you could get cameras and film that that recorded in black and white a lot cheaper. And so you can get a production off the ground for a lot less money if you filmed in black and white. So I assume it's one of those factors or maybe a combination of both. Anyway, with that, you can go ahead and see the movie or not, but we'd recommend you do. Mm -hmm. And when we come back, we will talk about 1960s Eyes Without a Face. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to TCM. I'm Ben Mankiewicz. Thanks for staying up late with us for this week's TCM Import. This week, in keeping with our seasonal theme, we have a peculiar French horror film from 1960, Eyes Without a Face. Producer Jules Borcon hired a real director, George Franzou, and together they produced what's been called one of the most poetic horror films ever made. It's the story of a brilliant surgeon determined to restore the beauty of his disfigured daughter, even if it means he has to kill other young women in the process. The film received mixed reviews. Nobody thought much of it when released in the early 60s. Here in the States, a dubbed version was released with the title The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus, and it played on a double bill with the manster about a guy who grows two heads. So people showed up at the theater expecting another cheapy horror film and maybe missed the poetry. However, today it has the respect it deserves. From 1960, starring Pierre Boisseur and Alita Valley, with a score by Maurice Jarre, Eyes Without a Face. All right, Kelsey, we should probably give a warning that this episode is not going to have a lot of dialogue ripped from the film. <laughs> this movie is entirely in French, and if you've listened to our other episodes that are in foreign languages... There's not much I can do with that. There's nothing you can do with that. It even becomes difficult when uh, like we do silent films and stuff like that. But yeah, with the trailer, I have no idea what I'm going to put there. I try my best to um, grab some sort of introduction from like a Turner Classic Movies or something like that. Uh, at, at where they're talking about the film a little bit. So maybe that's what I did here. I, who knows? We'll find out in the edit. What happens, though, in Eyes Without a Face? You want to run us through real quick? We open with a woman who seems very nervous about something and is very afraid. And we see pretty quickly that there is something in the backseat of her car. Ends up being a body. And this woman drags the body out and throws it in the river. She returns to this, quote unquote, villa. Yeah. <laughs> Which, when you hear villa, in my head, I think of a little chat a little place, a little chateau. No, this is like a gigantic no, a villa, mansion. totally, yeah. It could totally be. A, it's like an estate. I thought a villa was a little, like, hut. What? No. Like a little place? A little villa? 
Villa was originally an ancient Roman upper-class country house. Ah. Um, yeah, I think that's really what it means is, is like a country home. Yeah, it's basically a country home. Anyway, she returns there, and we meet this other guy, and you find out that she works for him, and he is this famous doctor. Think like a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. Yes. Which, I didn't even know they had plastic surgery back then. So the 60s were big in plastic surgery because that's when silicone started being used. And specifically in breast augmentation. Uh, But it's also, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, Mm -hmm. uh, 1969 was also the year that Hal Jennings was appointed the Surgeon General of the United States, and he is the first and only plastic surgeon to ever be Surgeon General. Interesting. But that was all the 60s. So yeah, the plastic surgery uh, has been around... The first decade that they document on the American Society of Plastic Surgeons is the 1940s when the Plastic Surgery Foundation was opened. Interesting. Yeah. So, little history lesson. Do you for think you. that was probably because of the war? Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of those, uh, like in Boardwalk Empire and uh, Wonder Woman, uh, people who are disfigured and they wear masks and stuff like that. They needed some sort of cosmetic solution to that. So. Anyway, so he is giving this big speech about how we can now transplant faces, which everybody is like clapping and telling him what an amazing person he is. But my my question is, why would anyone ever need to? In what circumstance would someone be willing to give up their face for another person's face? So this isn't a new thing. We do this with all sorts of organs. There are certain organs where you need to have somebody who is very recently deceased in order to transplant it. Okay. Or else it's not viable. So he meant off of dead people. No, and what what he's saying is that it, it's more effective when the source is still alive. Right. For the, for the, to transplant the skin. What it, basically what he's saying is that the skin is just like any other organ. You can't just take it off of a dead thing and think it's going to work. You have to treat it like any other vital organ that needs to come out of a freshly alive, like very recently living uh, being. Like you have a matter of hours. So what you're saying is that he probably could have killed them. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I what I mean is. In the audience's mind, because we know what he's really doing, but in the audience's minds... he Well, he's talking hypotheticals. Right. Which, but, which is something you do in science. You don't necessarily mean, yeah, we should do it. You mean, no, this is the case. And it's the 60s, and he was known to experiment on dogs. You could ex- You could skin a live animal and nobody would give a shit. So... Right, but he doesn't so have I'm to trying be talking to, about humans. I'm trying to understand what the audience thought he was trying to say. From what the audience might have been thinking, he's saying like in any case of a person who who needs a new who needs a heart transplant, any person who needs uh-huh. a, a a lung transplant, whatever, that someone who doesn't have a face is going to wait around for another person who dies willing to give up their face to science. I mean, yeah, just like any other organ. I don't know what's so hard to understand about this. It's just a strange concept. And his, we know someone right, to I, have lived without a face for a while. Yes. So 
his daughter was in an accident. We find out later that he caused the accident because he drove like a maniac because he's so arrogant, which I don't really see how that connects. I guess, I mean, that's exactly what they did in... An arrogant plastic surgeon? That's it's ex- Doctor Strange. And that's know, how right? he got in an accident because he was arrogant. Yep. I guess that's that's so funny. Now that I think about that. Did they take it from there? Yeah, he got into a car accident. That is what's in the comic books originally. But Doctor Strange was created in the early 60s. So 63. It was after this was made. Although I think it might have come out in 62. I don't know. No, very much so. But I doubt the thing thing people take away from this movie is that the guy got into a car accident. They needed a reason for Dr. Stephen Strange MD to break all the bones in his hands. It's very... Come yeah. on. Right, but there is also a stereotype of plastic surgeons being arrogant. So. Can't deny it. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, so he was in a car accident. Somehow, it didn't hurt her in any other way. She's perfectly fine otherwise. I mean, she might have healed. True. But the only part of her body that is so atrocious that you can't look at it is her face. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. So her face is gone, and so she wears this mask. And John Carpenter has said himself that it was this mask that led to them wanting an all-white mask for uh, yeah. Halloween. It's a featureless face that is all-white, and all you can see through it is the person's eyes. It is creepy. Yeah. And she does a great job with her body language. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, so she's forced to wear this mask and like she's, she was in an asylum or something and he like broke her out and pretended like she went missing because his plan, should I tell them the plan now? Well, I mean, we know what happened and, and pretty early on. Well, when she dumps the body at the beginning of the movie, we don't know why. Right, but we find out very early because the next scene is him identifying the body as being his daughter's and not this other man's daughter who Mm -hmm. also went missing. Then he goes home and we see his daughter's right there. Mm -hmm. So what he had done is he had taken off her face and tried to put it on his daughter and it failed. But either way, he ditched the body saying, yes, it's my daughter. Now he has... An alibi, I get, not an alibi, but now he has a story for where his daughter could have gone and why there's this new woman around with a new face. So. I'm just wondering, because we find out later that he's done this before. And this, it's failed every time. So what did he do with the bodies then? I Well, no, I mean, I guess it's not, it hasn't failed every time because he did it to his assistant too. But as the daughter points out, be, okay, so you might have been wondering why an assistant would be willing to do this because... Something happened to her face. Yeah. And he needed to give her a new face as well. However, the daughter does say you had skin or you had something to work with. Right. Yeah. It was just plastic surgery really on a face and it wasn't so much a facial transplant like it will be with her. Right. And so the assistant has given her life to this doctor. Uh, My life for you. (laughs) Another Um, reference to Trash Can Man. (laughs) She will do whatever he asks of her. However, after having to dump that body, she does shout out 
um, I can't do this anymore. I yeah. can't take this anymore. It's and he like really slaps tense. her. <laughs> yeah. Listen, are you telling me that a 1960s French film about a megalomaniacal plastic surgeon who kills willy nilly, that it's not exactly the best, the most feminist movie you've ever seen? Um, and we find out that her her help goes even further than that. She's basically going out into the world and finding him girls to do this to. Yeah, she is grooming them. Yeah. She is like, what's her face from... Get Out? No. Oh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking real life. Like, oh, what's Jesus. her face from... Um, Jesus. Not, I keep thinking Supernatural. That's not the name of it. What's the Superman show? Smallville. Smallville. Yeah. Where she was grooming other women for the cult. Or it goes a long way to use a woman to make another woman feel more safe. Or Maggie Marcy May or whatever the fuck that movie was called, too. Martha Marcy May Marlene or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Where she went out and found girls for the cult, Marcy too. Marcy Martha May Marlene. I don't know. Yeah. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. <laughs> One of those will be right. <laughs> anyway, um, so this is, I mean, you could say now that this is not a new concept. I mean, fuck, Chris just brought up a, a really heinous story that really happened. So it's believable in that regard. It's very believable, yes. And again, I mean, you could really attribute this to sparking a lot of ideas for other movies. That's why I say if you're into horror history this is probably a pretty important movie to see yeah so she goes out to find a new girl and um she brings her in under the pretense of i'm gonna help you find a room to stay in right in the meantime we get to know the daughter a little bit and the daughter's gone a little psycho yeah she's she's obviously upset (laughs) about what she's gone through. She doesn't want to live anymore. She's had enough. She's sick of of, she's sick of trying anymore. Yeah, and here's the odd thing. You're kind of torn between feeling sorry for her, liking her, and hating her. Because like I said, they've done this a couple of times now. Yeah. And she's more upset about the fact that it hasn't worked than she is about the fact that they're killing people. Right. And whereas, how she has to keep getting her hopes up and going through the procedure and then it doesn't end up working. And Whereas the father has said, I've committed so many acts of evil and it's not working. But he is just kind of a determined doctor. Like, I don't even know that father. it's... That's what I was going to say. I don't even know that it's necessarily because of his daughter. Oh, interesting. I think it's more that he wants to prove that he can do it. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's that doctor's obsession. It's under the pretense of being for his daughter. Right, but that's not ultimately why he's doing it. It's what gives him the motivation to, like, consider it. Mm-hmm. But once it's been considered, he has to carry it through to completion. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is that we do get a scene where it's successful, well, the first one, it, they take it off and it's semi-successful and we get to see her without her mask on. So we see the girl and she's very, she's friends with the dogs that Chris mentioned that the father practices on. 
Yeah. She's also friends with the birds that he apparently also practices on. I don't know why there are birds. Yeah. And so she kind of connects with the animals because they're caged in and she feels caged. Yeah. But, I mean, she does it to herself. I mean, she doesn't need to stay there. That's the thing. It's really difficult. It's really complicated to feel or not feel for this girl. Right, but you also have to feel that, like, okay, she's a young woman who has never lived on her own ever before, and she's told she can't go out because she has no face. Like, what is she going to do? Where is she going to go? Well, she was living in the asylum, but apparently that wasn't good enough. (laughs) But it's also carrying the weight of... How can I live like this? Because she says, like, they've taken all the mirrors out of the house. Yeah. And she's like, but I can still see myself in reflective surfaces and I'm a monster. Yeah. And it's very, it reminded me of Seven, you know? She'd rather be dead than be disfigured. That's a good point. There's just a lot of pride there. So it's funny that she calls her dad out for being so arrogant. Anyway, now talk about the, the surgery. So one of the surgeries is, is semi-successful, or at least appears to be, and we get to see the actress without the mask on. And she really has a unique look. She's very beautiful, but unique. I don't know how else to no comment. Well, I just thought she was very pretty. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just thought she was really, really pretty. But the the doctor checks and sees that she's bleeding from... Uh, it's re- it's rejecting it. Right, yeah. It's supposed to be melding, and that's not happening. And so it's going to be sloughing off, basically. And so she's going to lose her face again. And so they try to get uh, another woman, and that's this this woman that, that we get to know a little bit. Well, let's talk about the surgery scene, because apparently this was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. When it first happened. People walked out. People were disgusted. It got bad reviews because of it. People thought it was just absolutely disgusting. It was graphic for 1960. For 1960. Yeah. Yes. Very graphic. I wouldn't say it's as graphic as the eye slicing scene in Unchienandalu. That's because that actually happens. He does it to a cow's eye. Right. He does it to an eye, not an actual woman's eye. Right, but it's to it's it's to a cow's eye, so right, it's so going to be more right, graphic. That's what I'm saying. It's not as graphic as that, and that was from the 20s. But it's still pretty graphic. They they rig the scalpel to secrete blood. Like that's still a trick that they use today, where the blood's coming out of the weapon that's supposed to be cutting. Um, so it makes it look like it's coming out of the wound. Uh, you know, they just use a lot of a lot of that. And then you see them pull a face off. And it's obviously, I mean, it looks like face off. Or if it you've ever like seen <laughs> Brazil. Yeah. When they stretch the face. That's what sure. it reminded me of. Because no, it has all the clamps. Yeah. They, they clamp around all the, like, they do a really good job of making it seem like he's, like, cutting underneath the skin. So peel it back. Then they put a clamp on it. And it does that all the way around the face. And, and But it looks like it's still her real face. So whatever they did with makeup there was really remarkable, I think, for 1960. I was, I was just going to say, an audience member like myself, a horror fan of 2018, I look at it, and to me, it looks like a person's face with makeup on. But I am very easily able to take myself out of that and put myself in the shoes of a 1960 audience member where I have not seen the things I have seen. And yeah. You're absolutely right. It looks crazy real. Yeah. But that was obscene. 
Yes. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I can understand why people would be so disgusted by it, but it's just funny. Right. I think he, one of the quotes that I read that he said was, uh, I guess that's why Scotsmen wear skirts. Yeah, because it was it was uh, being shown in Scotland, I guess, or the UK somewhere. And yeah, he said because people were like vomiting and passing out or whatever, leaving. He's basically calling them women. Mm-hmm. Which, dude, ouch. But anyway, yeah. So the dad says. He tells his daughter that it's fine, but she can tell by the look on his face that it's not okay. And then his assistant comes out and he's like, it's not taking. We need to get another girl in here quick. Yeah. And that girl ends up jumping out of a window or falling out of a window or something. And they have to dispose of her body. And they do so in the mausoleum where his daughter is supposed to be buried. So that really confused me because... Okay, so the girl survived... Which, I don't know if that's possible, but what the fuck do I know? Anyway, yeah. so she survives, and when she wakes up, you know, obviously she's going to be terrified. And the assistant is told to feed her until they figure out what to do with her. And it's like, what are you planning on doing with her? Yeah. At this point, you have to kill her. Why would you keep her alive? Because you don't want to kill her? Well, that's too fucking bad. Well, you need them because the only reason the only reason that we do organ transplants on the recently deceased is because we can't do them on living people. It would be better if we could do them on living people, hypothetically, but of course that would be supremely unethical. No way we would do that. So he does it because obviously he has no problems with it ethically. <laughs> he has no qualms. So they need to be alive during the surgery. And then he eventually does kill them or they die from the surgery. Um, and that's why he's disposing of these bodies. But this one happened to die violently. And this was this was Edna. But they're still Paulette. But I'm wondering what was their plan? Eventually, probably to either see if she dies on her own or kill her. Oh, okay. You just don't want her escaping, which is what she was going to do. Well, that, I mean, she came in and she turned around and, yeah, and the girl jumped out the window and died, unfortunately. So then when they get the new girl. Paulette. That is when the daughter is like, fuck me. <laughs> right. I, I mean, she doesn't really want to do it anymore. And she, you know, like I said, she's gone a little crazy. Yeah. And... She decides to uh, let the girl go and lets the dogs go. So how this happens is, uh, we haven't talked about this the whole time, is there? there's this sort of subplot with Christiane, that's the daughter. Christiane's beau, who loved her, and he, uh, he also... He's a doctor as he's well. He's also a doctor, and he's talking to the police officer... Because he, he gets a call from Christian. She keeps calling him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I know it's you or whatever. So he goes to the doctor and be like, or to the police officer and says like, ah, sir, I got a call from her. And he's like, ah, it's just another red herring. Like, uh, like this, this other fact, we had somebody coming in saying they identified a woman with uh, a pearl necklace. Like that didn't lead anywhere. And then this guy is like, pearl necklace? Like the one that my boss's assistant wears and 
all these women that are disappearing are blue-eyed women, fair-skinned. Okay, what does it matter what color their eyes are? I know. <laughs> and blonde. He mentions that. You have to be blue-eyed and blonde. Why? You're not taking their scalp. You're not taking their eyes. Right. What the fuck does it matter? Maybe he's secretly a Nazi. Right? I don't know. But anyway, this this leads them to suspect the doctor and Dr. Genessier. So the police show up at his door and right when he's about to start the surgery on Paulette. And so he goes up to the front and Christian gets up and lets Paulette go, stabs the assistant in the neck with a scalpel, killing her, lets out all of the dogs who proceed to chew off the doctor's face. Yeah, they attack the do- doctor, which now is pretty great. It's very obvious he's wearing like a bite suit that you might see to train dogs to attack people underneath his his smock or whatever. It's very, very obvious the way he's moving and how thick his clothes are. But it's still really great that he was being, it was the actual actor being attacked by these dogs. And then they film it in a way that makes it look like they're chewing off his face. Mm-hmm. So it's like poetic justice, mm-hmm. you know? And then she walks out with a dove in her hand. Yes. <laughs> Symbolism. Yes, definitely symbolism. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Yes. So, Kelsey, lightning round. First of all, the music. Because Jesus Christ, have I never heard a worse fitting score. I don't even... When I think about the sound in this movie, I don't think about the score. I think about the dog barks. The score is littered with, and all I the best way I can describe it is is Italian wedding music. <laughs> you have to listen to it again. Every time it came on, it was like a what the. Fuck, like, and it had nothing to do with going on screen. It's way too happy of music to be played with this film. Yeah. I was super confused the whole time. I was like, who made this score? I don't even remember it. God. <laughs> but yeah, I was saying the dogs, like, I wrote down that, oh, that's funny. I'm just kind of realizing that the dogs have been barking this entire movie. Whenever you're at the doctor's residence, the dogs are barking the entire time and incessantly. And you kind of tune it out and you don't even think about it because you don't see the dogs for a while until like a while after you've been hearing this barking and then you actually see them and then the barking continues and it's like god the barking and the barking and you know that the dogs are important and you don't know why until you see him experimenting on one of the dogs and you're like oh he's taking these strays and he's doing skin grafts mm-hmm. yeah yeah there is a lot of opulence to their home. I, like I mentioned, it's this big, giant mansion, and inside, everything is very uh, aesthetically appealing. Yeah. Uh, she wears elegant clothes, even though she doesn't go outside. Uh-huh. Um, at one point, she's wearing this really high back collared like dressing gown. It's just a dressing gown. It's not yeah. something that's even meant to be seen by people. Um, and I think that's it's a lot of really clean lines all over the place and the architecture and the clothes, which is 
great opulence. symbolism. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's great symbolism because it shows that what they care about is the way things look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought that was a really nice touch. I think they put a lot of effort into kind of creating these characters. Right. And then down in the basement is where you do the dirty work, mm-hmm. you know, where the surgery happens, where you keep the dogs in cages and yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really good character development. And it's a very well put together movie. You can tell that the director really and like the set designer and the costumes and the makeup. You you can just tell that there was so much effort into the details of this movie. I love the way the main character looks like just his visual look. It's fantastic. You want to explain what he looks like? I mean, he he has he's kind of a stocky dude Mm -hmm. uh, and he has a beard. Like a like a chin strappy kind of beard looking to him, and he's always wearing the doctor's a- yeah, almost like another doctor. You're trying you're trying to make too many connections. He looks like Doctor Strange. No, he doesn't. He totally does. I also put, I don't know in reference to what or to whom. I put all these French people look the same, and then in parentheses I can say that I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I think it was having to do with the women, but then again, they're supposed to all look the same, but like the women that they kidnap, mm-hmm. you know, the blonde hair, the blue eyes, like it was difficult to tell Paulette and Dana. I can't remember uh, what the other girl's name is, but uh, it's, it's difficult to tell them apart. And But that's kind of the point, isn't it? They're supposed to look like a particular profile. When we saw her face and they, they only show it briefly. And it's blurred as well, because we're seeing it from the perspective of a girl who's been knocked out um, before they do the the surgery on her. Yeah. You can say whether or not you agree with this, but I thought she almost looked, not exactly, but very close to the pig face Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, I mean, especially considering the setting, Mm -hmm. the medical setting. I thought it looked a lot like that. Her face kind of is contorted to the side a little bit, kind of like theirs is. I think it's more that it's 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 bloody and muscly. Like, imagine face-off. Like, when you see his face, when Nicolas Cage is walking around without his face after he wakes up um, and kills the doctor or whatever, and he doesn't have the face, like, that's it's kind of what it looked like. Just imagine that in black and white and a woman, and you have this. I don't remember that part of that movie. We need to watch Face Off again, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was a very tense movie. Yeah. Like, disposing of the body in the very first scene. Like, oh, God. Uh, getting rid of the body in the mausoleum. Like, it, there are these moments where you're just like, oh, my God, this shot is just going on forever. Or this scene is going on forever. Somebody has to find them. There's a reason we're watching this. And I think back then... Maybe there wasn't this expectation that this expectation of economy, right? Where you only show something if it's necessary. That's how you know something's about to happen is when a scene's going on a little bit too long and you're like, oh, the scene isn't done yet. Okay, something's going to happen now. And you're not as scared when it does. And now movies start to use that to to prey on your expectations and do false scares that way. But this is 1960, much earlier. I think it's just very, very tense the way they do that. At one point, a girl comes into the clinic complaining of migraines. 
And to test her for migraines, they do this flashing light at her face. uh And I'm just like, light causes migraines. I think that's what they're trying to do. Oh, my God. I mean, they're basically, what it is, is it's it's an EKG. It's an early form of that. They have her brain, her brain, they have her head with all these electrodes on it. I mean, this is exactly like what you would normally get when you're in that machine where it's scanning your brain and its responses to stimulus and all that. So they're seeing what her brain does when the light flashes. It would give me a fucking seizure. Yeah, there it could. It Jesus. totally could. Maybe we should have told you that before you started, that if you have flashing light-induced seizures. I couldn't watch that scene. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Because I get migraines. Like, I can't. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. And lest we forget... In 1984, Billy Idol released a single called Eyes Without a Face on the album Rebel Yell. This is straight out of the movie. I mean, that's what it's named after, is Eyes Without a Face. It's one of his most famous songs. Eyes Without a Face. uh, But the song has nothing to do with the movie. It's It's about a relationship. But his girlfriend at the time sang Backup. Yeah. And she sings Eyes Without a Face in French, in the French, title yeah. of the film. Mm-hmm. Le You Sans Visage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really liked it. Did you like it? I liked it a lot. I thought it was very good. I thought the acting was good. I thought the writing was good. I thought the direction was great. Like I said, all the intricate details of this film are there. It is a very quiet movie. I mean, I mean that in terms of like tempo not really in terms of volume because like i said there's always dogs barking but there's not a lot of dialogue it's a lot of long scenes where you're just watching people's behavior and that can add to the tension tension it can tell you about a person and what their motivations are by the way they behave but I can see people thinking that this is boring, especially coupled with the fact that you need to read the dialogue. Yes, I could definitely see certain people being bored with it. And that's why I kind of made it clear at the beginning, you have to be into it. Right. You have to go into it thinking, like, I'm watching this because I want to see where these ideas came from. And I think it's I think it's import- an important film. That said, Kelsey, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I already know. Of course you do. Is it a 98? That is correct. Cool. You successfully recalled something you saw a couple days ago. True. Three days ago. (laughs) It is a 98, and it got a 90 on Metacritic for its 2003 re-release. They call it a horrific tale of guilt and obsession, Eyes Without a Face is just as chilling and poetic today as it was in 1959, they put here. Overrated or underrated? I think 98 is a little high. I would probably give yeah. it a 90. I was thinking more like 88. Yeah, I think 98 is one of those, it's in the past and it's better than you would expect it to be, so we're just gonna... I think there's also a lot of... Because it's an important film, people will say it's better than it is. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was very good. Yeah, it was. It's, the only reason I'm not giving it a higher score is because it is slow. I wish that you didn't dislike the daughter as much as you do. 
It'd be nice if there was any character you actually cared about that wasn't relegated to the B plot. Right. right? Like, because there's the there's the police officer, there's the ex-boyfriend, and they're in all of two scenes. Right. So could we get more of them, maybe? Or give us a more likable character in the actual Because, yeah, I mean, like the the assistant is this useless. She's not useless. She's very useful. I, I mean, and I mean that she's useless in life. Like she's just right. She's not very good. <laughs> yeah, the doctor you hate, of course. The daughter. I mean, I like that it's interesting and in that it forces me to recognize she's a bitch. Just because she does something nice at the end does not make her a good person. No, I think it's more about her finding her freedom. Exactly. It's more so that she wants to be free herself. Yeah. Not necessarily that she gives a shit about the other girls. Right. And so she it's all, it, she lets the, the Paulette, the last girl, she lets her free almost as like, I might as well. <laughs> it's not like, oh, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. She's just kind of walks over, undoes the buckles and kind of looks down at her. And it's like, I mean, I'm here. I'm going to leave. I might as well let you out, too. But she does kill the assistant. Yeah. Which tells us that, well, I mean, it also helps her get free, I guess. But I think it was more so that she wouldn't stop the other chick. Yeah. Well, or her, or tell the dad. She was an obstruction to be overcome. But she also lets the dogs out. Because she cares about the dogs. Right. But it's almost like her goal is just freedom. And so everything shall be free. Yeah, just total liberation. You know, it's it's more because that's her overarching goal. Viva la revolution! Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like the doctor, it's not really about how he cares about his daughter. It's about accomplishing this goal. And for her, it's not really that she cares about this other girl or the dogs. It's just that she relates to them and because they're not free. And so she has this end goal of freedom. So she lets them free as well. Like, that's all it is. I don't think she really, she doesn't seem to have a feeling bone in her entire body. We don't get really an example of that, uh, except for when she calls her boyfriend. Yeah. That's the one little peek at her having humanity and not having it stripped from her. Like, and, but her honestly, face. that's that's you could just look at that as another selfish thing, right? I liked having this boyfriend who was in love with me, right? And it's going to torment him, especially if you're not going to be able to be with him. All right, that was 1960s eyes without a face. Before- Got no human grace. <laughs> Before we move on to our next film, Kelsey, slash cards round two. Yes. What do you got for me? Name three horror movies. Jesus, I hate these categories. About home invasion. All right. The first Purge movie. You're next. And what's it called? Strangers? Yeah, there you go. Could also be Don't Breathe. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Just because the invader is not an evil person doesn't mean it isn't about a home invasion. It's true. It's true. Kelsey. Yeah. Just because I would think it would be funny if you get this wrong. Okay. An Army of Darkness 1992. What three magic words must Ash recite in order to retrieve the Necronomicon? I hate you so much. 
it's that's some, too many words. <laughs> it's something like. I'll give you a hint. It's from the to narak to not to or something like that. Uh, cloud like to straight out of the movie. <laughs> cloud to narak to nip to. That was really close. That was really close. I'll give you a hint. It's from the day the earth stood still. Thanks. Klatu Verata Nikto. Klatu Veratu Nitu. No. Klatu. Klatu. Verata. Verata. Nikto. Nikto. There you go. Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered it either if I was him. Klatu. Verata. <laughs> Klaatu, I think, is the name of the robot from yes. the day the Earth stood still. Yes. Yeah. All right. Our second movie of the day, the more modern one, the one that's less than 20 years old, 2016's Don't Breathe. Directed by Fede Alvarez, written by Fede Alvarez and Roto Sayagas, and starring Stephen Lang, Jane Levy, and Dylan Minnette. This movie is available to buy for as low as $13, or you can watch it for free on Stars. I think I ended up buying it, because I like this movie. Yeah. Should people watch it? Yes. Yeah. I really like it. What is the premise? I realize we did this a little bit out of order, but that's okay. What's the premise to Don't Breathe? These three burglars decide to break into an old man's house because they think it has a lot of money in it, and things go south. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Things do go quite south. <laughs> All right, so uh, we recommend you go ahead and watch this movie if you haven't already. Just be warned, the ending Oh, so I wrote down... I wrote down there's going to be a content warning for this episode for sexual assault. Yeah. And it comes up in a big way. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode, but we won't harp on it, stay on it for too long. Just FYI, it does come up. But if you don't mind watching a movie that has that sort of content in it, then we would recommend you actually do see it. Um, This one kind of flew under the radar after it came out. And, like, it came out and then it just disappeared off the face of the map. And for the past two years, like, when's the last time you heard of this movie? That's true, which is surprising because it's very good. It's very good. Yeah. So you should see it. Uh, and It's not perfect, no, but it's no, no, no. great. Well, we'll talk about our complaints. But go ahead and do watch it so you're up to speed. And when we come back, we'll talk about 2016's Don't Breathe. As soon as we have the money, I'm getting us out of here. It's a promise. Wait, is he blind? That's kind of messed up to have a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. <gasps> Who's there? Go, go, go! Now you're gonna see what I see. The only thing more twisted than what you can see is what he can't. You have to be held accountable. Don't breathe. Kelsey. Yes. What happens in Don't Breathe? So the opening shot looks like suburbia. However, you can hear sirens wailing in the background. 
and it looks like there are cracks in the road. Come to find out those are not cracks. It is blood being dragged behind a girl who is being dragged by an old man. I feel like uh, this shot almost does it a disservice. Why? I mean, it's really interesting, but I think if you didn't know anything about the movie going in, it would be a good twist halfway through, but seeing this ahead of time makes you know who the villain and who the victim are. True. And eh, it's a bummer. Yeah, it tells you a little bit about what's about to happen. I agree with that. So, what is the story? What are we doing? So, we immediately meet three characters. Uh, They are burglars, and that is shown right off the bat. This guy, Minette, his character's name is Alex. You probably know him from 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. He is, I guess, the smart one of the group. He, uh, He... has ways to get into people's houses. We find out later that it's because his dad is a security guard for some security company, so he has all these keys to people's homes. Yeah, and so what they do is they get in by using the keys and the code, and then they do whatever they need to do, and then they set the alarm again, close and lock the door, and then they break a window, making it look like somebody actually broke in to steal the stuff. So it makes it... It takes away any of the suspicion from any connection to the security company. Still, I don't know how difficult it would be to put it together that all of these robberies are happening from a company, happening from homes that are using this particular company. Well, the other thing they do is they don't steal any money. They just steal valuables and they keep it under $10,000, which, number one, keeps it from being a felony grand larceny and it makes it to where the insurance covers it and so nobody really loses out on anything and so nobody's really investigating this too hard especially since this all takes place in detroit which is a really rundown place that you would expect robberies robberies to happen and so they find what nice houses are left in the suburb areas or what have you um And this is all happening. The motivations are threefold. One is Rocky, the girl. Who you would know if you've seen Evil Dead. Yes. She's the first girl to go. This movie is written and directed and produced by the people who did Evil Dead, including Sam Raimi. The remake, that is. Which, when Chris told me that, I got really excited because I really like the remake of Evil Dead. She has a shit life at home and she wants to move to California. She would also like to take her little sister, who is also being mistreated by her mother and her mother's boyfriend, I guess. Yes. Uh, So that's her motivation. There's money. And money is, he's in it for money. And because Rocky's his girlfriend. He's also in it for destruction. Right. He gets off on this stuff. He has a lot of fun. He pees on people's carpets and shit like that. And breaks shit. That is, he's not even stealing. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, then there's Alex, who's doing it because for two reasons. Number one, for Rocky, because he really likes Rocky. And number two, to pay for law school. Which you wouldn't know unless you've seen the deleted scenes. But that is his motivation. Yes. And so they break into this house and it's successful. They don't get nearly as much money as they want. Money talks to his, uh, his 
contact, I guess, the guy who who actually pawns all the stuff. And he, dude's like, hey, if you want money, steal money. Because even though you got a Rolex, I can't sell it for what a Rolex is worth. You know, it, who, you know what people pay for a stolen Rolex? Mm-hmm. Less than a Rolex costs. That's the whole point. <laughs> you know how much people on the street pay for a hot Rolex? <laughs> you want money? Then steal money. Fucking bullshit, bro. And so money wants to get this really big job. He finds out we don't know how about... No, he gets it from the guy that he sells stuff okay. to. He finds out about this guy who's an old man who lives alone. And he's a hermit. He never leaves his home ever since his daughter died. His daughter was killed by a reckless driver. We won't get into more detail with that just yet. And uh, he won a settlement for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And that's what they want. And that will be their, here's a trope, last job. Yes. Right? One big final score. And... I mean, my immediate reaction is, why would you think the money is in the house? I wouldn't think that. Well, because he's a recluse, he doesn't trust anybody with the money. I think, I don't know how they confirm any of that, but that's the premise that they're running on. Well, that what they say is, let's just go in and find out. Right. Which seems reckless to me, but I don't steal for a living, so. Right. <laughs> and Alex, who doesn't, want to do it because it breaks all of his rules that keeps them from getting caught, keeps them from a bigger investigation, keeps them from a big punishment. Yeah, like 10 years in prison or whatever. He ends up changing his mind in the movie because of Rocky. In the deleted scenes, there's more motivation from his father who wants him to become a cop and can't pay for his, his law school. So... That those two things combined is like, okay, let's do it. And so he finally breaks down and decides to do it. And so they get there. The place is all boarded up. None of the keys work. And it's in a, a like a ghost town. Nobody right. lives around It's one there. of the parts of Detroit where everyone's left and nobody's moved in. And he's the only one left living there in this neighborhood. So it's really quiet. It's almost like the perfect score. They don't need to worry about getting caught. Right? So... They do find out when they're casing the place that the dude is blind and he hasn't left his house for five days, which is a little weird because the way they find out he's blind is he goes to walk his dog and like, what has he done with the dog for the past five days? Right. That's a little weird. But um, Alex notices that he's blind and says it's kind of fucked up to rob a blind guy. And Money says just because he's blind, that doesn't mean he's a saint. Wait, is he blind? He's lost his sight in Iraq or something. That's kind of fucked up to have a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's a fucking saint, bro. And that is definitely true. Yes, how right <laughs> you are. And uh, so they decide to go in the middle of the night, and I think it's 13 Reasons asks, like, how do we know he's asleep? And they say, well, all the lights are off, he's asleep. And he's like... Lights don't mean anything. He's blind. (laughs) (laughs) But Rocky's like, it's 2 a.m. He's sleeping. So they go, and as Chris said, there's a, none of the locks work. Uh, They have, he has a bunch of locks. So, and he's got bars on all the windows, etc. So the only way they can get in is through this tiny little window in a bathroom. Yes. And later when you see it, I don't believe she could actually get through it. But, I mean, we see her crawling through. 
Right. That doesn't mean that it's the same one that we see in the shot of the f- of the of the home. <laughs> right. The exterior and the interior are actually two different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interior is filmed all on a soundstage. Um, even the close shots of the exterior at night are are on a soundstage, and the the full exterior shots where we see it in the neighborhood that actually is in Detroit. Now, here's the thing. Chris loves to bring up the fact that I think that all blind people are like Daredevil. (laughs) But I'm sorry, blind people have a heightened sense of hearing. Yes. So when you lose a sense, it is true that you compensate with other senses. My dad is hard of hearing. He has an incredible sense of smell. Like, incredible. So... Yeah, I get it. But she keeps acting like he's daredevil. Every time. So, like, she breaks the window, right, to get through. How does he not hear that? Yeah. Okay. And then we see... Now, this movie does a lot with, um, I guess it's cinematography, the way the camera moves. Yeah. Uh, It does a lot that reminded me of uh, Fincher. Yeah, Kelsey pointed this out, and it was, like, a revelation to me. Like, yeah, of course. Like, especially, like, even with just the color tones and everything feels very Fincher. The griminess um, is very Fight Club and Seven. But it also does things where, like, it uses an omniscient camera that goes everywhere, seems uncannily steady at all times. It, It... this guy, Fede Alvarez, he definitely has his own style, but there is a lot of Fincher here. And so when she first comes in, the camera kind of moves throughout the space, setting up a lot of different things. It shows us bells that are around the house. It shows us that the pictures are upside down. It shows us that she's leaving glass where she's walking. And so it's kind of setting up a lot of things that could potentially be used later. And some of them are, and some of them aren't. Yeah. Mm. Uh, It shows us that there is a gun taped under his bed. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. It overuses close-ups, I feel, which is something that Fincher is notoriously fickle with. Like, okay, so for example, obviously they wouldn't have shown us a, a, a gun taped under the bed unless it was going to come up later, right? So, you've already given us the close-up on the gun. When he goes to get it later, they do it again. They do it again. Yeah. And that's unnecessary. Right. At that point, you've shown it to us. He should just grab it from under the bed. Right. We shouldn't have to see it again. That's the whole point of the... Uh the Chekhov's gun thing. Right. It's almost like it thinks that we're idiots and we would forget what we saw earlier. Yeah. Anyway, they all three get inside the house and they're all looking for the money. Um, And the idea... Oh, and they knocked the dog out. We forgot to mention that. Yeah, they they drug the dog's food that they give it so it gets knocked out. A something about Mary. Right, yeah. And his money's plan is to use some sort of bomb with gas to knock the guy out. So he does. And it's a really great shot. He, they've been really ultra quiet all this time and he gets all the way up into his room and he's getting ready. But to do it, he has to put, he has to puncture a hole through this water bottle. Yeah. 
and the puncture, you can hear the the glass, not the glass, the plastic break. Yeah. He looks up, and the old man is up looking he's at him. He's already standing up. We don't see him sit up. You just, he's in bed, cut to dude, puncture. You see the dude look, and the blind guy is sitting up. Yes. We should probably point out here that the blind guy is Stephen Lang, who was Freddie Lowndes in Manhunter. Yay. He's also the bad guy in Avatar, which is what we said when we talked about Manhunter. <laughs> Interestingly, this movie has a couple of other uh, homages of sorts. So we got the Fincher movies. We also have uh, Silence of the Lambs when there's the pitch black scene mm-hmm. and feeling around and not knowing where everything is, but the predator can is not hindered by the lights being out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a big old reference to Cujo up in there. <laughs> so, yeah, it has a lot of references to other really good films. But so it's a really, it's a, I remember the first time I saw it in theaters, I was like, oh, when he was awake. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. It's, uh, it's really startling. Yes, this movie is very, very tense. It you expect to see job. him, like, shuffle a little bit more. Like, you get that, where he kind of wakes up, he turns off the TV or whatever, you know. But you expect to, like, see him go, oh, what, huh? But no, he's just up. We also forgot to mention he's a Vietnam War vet. Yes. So that's, that's how he lost his sight in an explosion. And no, not Vietnam, Iraq. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, but so that kind of adds to his abilities when it comes to listening for danger. Danger, his hyper alertness and awareness. Yeah, and his ability to fight, which we'll see later. But so, yeah, he thinks it's the TV because he has a video on of his daughter. Uh, and so he turns it off. Money leaves it, the the bomb, and he leaves and he starts talking at a normal level because right. at this point he thinks that the guy is knocked out. Now, obviously he's not knocked out. We've already seen at the beginning that he's dragging Rocky at the very beginning. Right. Something's so, going to happen. So we know something's going to happen. Uh, this is a big flaw for me. They don't ever explain how he was able to not be knocked out. Yeah. I mean, I guess his size, maybe it wasn't mixed right. I do know several people who have been in the armed forces in one way or another, and they do subject them to things like this. My buddy who is in the Navy was left in a room where they uh, set off a tear grenade or something like that, and they needed to, while it's going off, get their gas masks on and tightened and everything in enough time. Um, so, So they are, you are subjected to certain things that you might have a larger tolerance tolerance for. for. I understand that. But they never explain it in the movie. They never explain it. And they are able to, like I said, talk at a normal level for quite a while. It's not until they they find a door that's all locked and they think that that's where the money is. So he takes out a gun and he uses a water bottle as a silencer, which I'll let Chris explain why that wouldn't work. (laughs) But that's what ends up getting the guy out of bed. So my question is, was it just that he was sleeping and their voices didn't wake him up? It was just the gunshot and that the stuff had no effect on him? Is it that the stuff had an effect on him, but the gunshot took him out of it? I think the implication is that the gunshot was loud enough to wake him up. I need more. (laughs) But go ahead and explain silencers. So here's the thing about silencers. Silencers don't exist. Silencers are not a real thing. 
It's a semantic argument that gun nuts will talk about all the time. There's no such thing as a silencer. It is a suppressor. What it does is it suppresses the percussive action of a gun. It contains the the reverberations that happen in the air that give you that really loud noise. And it does not silence anything. <laughs> it changes the tone. It makes them less reverberous. But it it's not going to make them quiet. You'll still know when a suppressed gun goes off. Uh, especially if that suppressor is not a real suppressor. It's just an empty water bottle. So... I'm not surprised, honestly, that he woke up because money was reckless. Yeah. And it's when this gun comes out that 13 Reasons is like, do you know what you just did? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm saving myself. We're in here with a yeah, war. A gun, a gun is, I have it to, yeah, I'm protecting myself. Yeah. But he says, no, you fucking idiot. Uh, you've just given him license to kill us. Yeah. Who the hell is that? It's Mita Beretta. Gangster style, bitches. Why'd you bring a gun? This is a soldier's house, Alex. Like, I'm gonna come in here without some chrome. Do you have any idea what bringing a gun to a burglary means? Yeah. It gives me a better chance to defend myself, Alex. No, we need you just gave this guy the legal right to shoot us. So, let's talk about Castle Doctrine. Yes. There's a lot of misconceptions about Castle Doctrine. However, the state of Michigan does have a castle doctrine law. Basically, it says that um, you're allowed to use deadly force when someone, quote, honestly and reasonably believes the use of deadly force is necessary to prevent the imminent death or imminent great bodily harm to himself or herself or to another individual. And the presence of a gun is that threat. If they had just broken in, he would not have the right to shoot them. But because they have a gun, he can. Okay. That's the that's the the castle doctrine in quotes that we're working with here. So he just made it legal for uh, the blind man to kill them. Even even if he has no reason to believe that he's actually in danger, just the fact that they have a gun is enough. Right. Which is nuts. It's the reasonable belief. Anyway. So he shoots it. Blind guy wakes up. Comes outside, comes downstairs. Oh, at this point, I should I forgot. Thirteen reasons leaves when he sees the gun. He's like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Right. I'm not in this to get killed. So he leaves. So the blind man comes down, and it's just money and Rocky. And he grabs money and asks, "How many of you are there?" And he says, "It's just me. Just let me go." And instead. Blind man kills him. Yes. Shoots him with his own gun in a very fight club scene. Yes. When the narrator shoots himself in the face. Yeah. Like you can see the, the slow-mo, the ver the the vibration of the cheek and all of that. Yeah. Yes. So Rocky doesn't know how to get out of the house anymore because the door is locked. So we didn't talk about this, but the reason they, one of the reasons they can't get inside, even though they have a bunch of keys to the place, is that he's replaced a lot of the locks and he's locked them from the inside. Uh, so you need keys on the inside even to get out of any of these, uh, to get out of, of oh. any of these doors, right? Okay. Um, and dude's in the way. She needs to get out. She needs to get out silently. She can't do any of that. 
So instead, she hides in a closet. Yes, where she sees in this guy trying to clean up after himself, she sees him open up the safe where the money is. To make sure that it's safe. Yeah, now, because she was really worried. What we didn't talk about is that in the, in his panic, when he finds out there's a guy with a gun on him, blind man feels the door that they shot open and realizes that it's open. And Money says uh, something to the effect of, no, he says, yeah, that's right. I know it's in there and I ain't leaving without it. And no, you don't. Yeah, you really don't know what's down there. <laughs> and saying you won't leave without it is a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what got him killed. Right. So, but he's also, he also checks about the money too and sees that the money's still there. And they had no idea that the money was there. So maybe he was talking about what's in the basement. Exactly. Um, so she's, she's in this closet and she sees him check the safe. She sees the money is there and she's not going to go through all this, even money dying. If that, if she leaves empty handed, I think we should really make it clear. It's not just a shitty home life. It's a fucked up home life that she comes from. I mean, her mother would lock her in her trunk of her car as a child because she would cry because her mom told her that the father left because of her. Right. It's a fucked up family. Right. And when (laughs) when the mom mentions that she always ends up, always somehow has money, I know you're earning money some way, and then she gestures, are you sucking dudes off for money? Right in front of the little sister. Right, yeah. It's, uh, It's not a great home life. And so this is Rocky's core focus and motivation for the entire film. Yeah. Is get out with the money. Yeah. So, So, 13 reasons, here's the gunshot. And comes back in. Yeah. Now, how does he get in again? I don't think the the door was closed at this point. The front door was reclosed. So she could have gotten out that way. Yeah, it's it's the back door that they come in through to the alley. And that's the door that they can get out from. But she has no access to that door because that hallway is the one that he and the dead body are in front of. Okay. It also doesn't make sense why. So there's like a wood panel that he puts in front of the safe. Yeah. But he doesn't put the wood panel back, which gives her really easy access to the thing without making any noise, which doesn't make sense either because when she does the number, it clicks. It makes a beep sound yeah how does he not hear that anyway um so 13 reasons comes back in finds her and well ah, this has one of the greatest shots in the movie where he's walking down that hallway yes blind man is checking all the doors and everything and making sure that everything's locked up and he's headed to that back door and as he's walking down the door like what's going on what's happened down comes blind man really fast with his arm on the left side of the wall, guiding him down that hallway. And he needs to like, as quietly as possible, push himself up against the side of the wall. So the guy walks right by him and doesn't even notice that he's there. Now, Chris doesn't agree with me here. No, but it looks like Freddie Lowndes kind of moves his shoulder out of the way so that he doesn't hit him. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see where you're coming from. But still, it's a really good shot. And if you're not paying attention for those itty-bitty things, you're not going to see it. Yeah. So they decide they need to get out, and the only way to get out is through that basement, which they couldn't open before because there was a bolt on the inside. 
So they're going to go down into the basement, and that's how they're going to get out. But as he's closing up the door, the back door, the blind man finds Money's shoes. And he's like, okay, great. He, I have his shoes. They took off their shoes when they came in so they could be more quiet and not leave any marks or anything like that. So he finds his shoes, but also finds Rocky's shoes. So he knows that someone he else is in the He knows that someone else is there, yeah. He doesn't know that 13 Reasons is there because 13 Reasons already had his shoes on at this mm-hmm. point. So they go into the basement, which hasn't been relocked because the lock um, mechanism was shot off. Um, and they go down to the basement and they're trying to find a way out and they can't. But they do find something. Well, okay. We don't know that they can't get out through the door yet. No, no. They're having trouble finding their way around because this place is very claustrophobic. It's like a maze. It's very dark. So they don't know what's what's going on down here. But they do eventually find their way to a turn. And when they turn and see what they think is the door, jump scare, there's a woman with a mask on her face strapped to the wall and what looks like parachute straps. Mm-hmm. And so she's tied up in like a parachute, basically, that he might have had from the war. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, there's a woman down here. And 13 Reasons' immediate response is, we need to get the fuck out of here right now, which is exactly what I would be thinking. And and it's exactly what he says. He's like, we can leave and bring the police back. We're not going to be able to get out, get her out of here in enough time. Yeah. And he's totally right. And that's exactly what I would be doing. But she's like, no, it's not right. And they find they figure out really quickly she's the woman who killed the, the she, man's daughter. She hands them a newspaper clipping of her disappearance or the accident. One of the two. I don't remember the which. Accident. But Rocky finds out or figures out that, yeah, she's the woman who killed his daughter. Another flaw. The whole idea here is that her family is so rich that they were able to buy the blind man off, right? That's the whole idea. Yeah. Problem here. Then, almost immediately after this, she goes missing, and they don't put every penny into finding her and looking into the blind man very closely because he's the only one that would want retribution. Yeah. But that's that's what they know is that retribution for killing his daughter, he keeps her chained up down there in the basement. And then Chris pointed out a very good point to me. She's the one that shows them where the keys are. They would not have been able to get out of the door without those keys, meaning that if they'd left her, they wouldn't have gotten out. Right. So they had to let her go. She gets the keys for them. They go to open up the lock that's in that basement door uh, leading out into the alley and he knows they're in there, but they've locked the door on him. Uh, so he ends up going around to the outside. And when they're trying to open the door, he swings it open and fires immediately. He gets 13 reasons in the ear, but ends up killing the woman. Mm-hmm. And he's very broken up about it. He says, my baby. He doesn't find out about this, though, uh, for a while yet. There's still... Fighting to be done. <laughs> it also... The, the shot also um, shot up Rocky's cell phone. And we already know that 13 Reasons' phone is dead. And 
Money's phone also got shot. Right. So, so there's no cell they have, phones left. They have no way to to communicate at this point. Um, or get light. Uh, right, yeah. So in this tussle, they're trying to get away from him in the basement. He shuts off all the lights on them. And in the trailer, you get the line, now you see what I see or something similar. I'm really glad they took it out because it's really fucking dumb. But because it was in the trailer, every time I see it, that's what I hear. Right. Yeah. Now now you're going to see what I see, is what mm-hmm. the line is. So stupid. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad that that happened. And then this is when we get the Silence of the Lambs scene where they're moving around in pitch black darkness. We get a sort of degraded, grainy, black and white shot. Um, f- so we can really see what they're going through. And they have super dilated eyes. And it's a great effect. The blind man is kind of firing wildly. Yeah. And when he does, there's flashes, just like in Mama, just like in Rear Window, that you get these flashes. And those flashes help them to see certain things, to see where they are, etc. Eventually, out of desperation, they start calling out to each other, which leads the blind man to them. But the way that he gets a hold of 13 Reasons is through, what are they called? It's just a shelving rack. And he grabs him. And he's he's gonna he's gonna strangle him to death. Yeah. And thirteen reasons, being the smart man that he is, he puts his feet up on the wall in front of him, and he pushes backwards, knocking this rack and all of its contents onto the blind man. Yes. And in that scuffle, he's able to find Rocky, and they're able to make it up to the door with the light. So they get up there, only to find out that the dog is awake now. So then they get chased by the dog. Well, because they have the keys. So, 13 Reasons is trying to calm the dog down while Rocky is trying to unlock the door. But then, the old, the blind man is trying to get through the door, which they have locked or blocked or something, and that sets the dog off. So then 13 Reasons runs to Rocky, and they try to get out that way. They end up trapping the dog in this room, but in the process, the dog knocks out the crowbar that was in the door that was keeping the man downstairs in the basement. So he gets out. But before that happens, there's a conversation between the two, and 13 Reasons is like, we just need to press this button and the cops will be here. Yeah. And she's like- At this point, we're just, we're just burglars. They won't care about us. He's a murderer and he has a woman chained up, or had a woman chained up before he killed her. And she's like, but then we wouldn't get to keep the money. And it's just like, bitch, do you want to die? Right, but this is her motivation. Her life is such that- it's worth risking. Is it worth risking his? She doesn't really care about Alex. That's the thing. 13 Reasons cares about her. She likes him and feels guilty for all the shit that he goes through. But she doesn't care about him the way he cares about her. Her sole primary motivation is to get out of Detroit with this money. Like I said earlier, that is all she cares about. Everything else is secondary, even her own life. So he gets out. He ends up beating the shit out of 13 Reasons. Blind like, man does. Yes. And it just rocks his world. Um, and he finds some garden shears and he stabs him with the garden shears. He finds Rocky and he knocks her out. So Alex dead. Rocky knocked out. Rocky wakes up 
And she's been strapped into that same contraption that the other woman was strapped into. And he pulls her up and suspends her from the ceiling with her back to the floor. This is the graphic stuff, guys. If you don't want to listen, um, jump forward. I will put a time code in the description. He explains to her that that woman was giving her boyfriend a hand job while she was driving. And that's why she wasn't paying attention. That's how she hit his daughter. And she was acquitted. And his goal was, she took my daughter from me. It's only fair that she gives me another daughter. And so we find out through a bunch of imagery and certain comments that he has been inseminating her over the years or over this time and managed to get her pregnant. And that's why he's so devastated when he kills her. It's not because he killed her and he just wanted to torture her more. It's because she was pregnant with his child at the time. That's why he he makes my baby. Yes. He makes it very clear. This doesn't make it any better. He makes it very clear that he's not a rapist. He didn't ever have sex with her, but he still violated her sexually. Mm -hmm. Like, that's still rape. I'm sorry. And he's basically turkey basting them. And so he goes to do, like, literally, and he goes to do the same thing to Rocky. He heats up some of his semen that he kept refrigerated. He puts it in a turkey baster. He cuts a hole in her pants, which, not to be crude, we never see again. Like, there's a scene where you see You get a clear shot of her butt, and there's no butt there. (laughs) And he goes to inseminate her. Now, the problem is, he just met this woman. He has no idea what her cycle is, or if she's viable at this point. So, uh, it's a little shortcut that the movie's doing right there. But, we get a bunch of flashes of cutting between this that's happening right here, and a hammer... And it's flashing back and forth. And all of a sudden, we get impact. We get blood splattered on Rocky's face. And he slumps over on top of her. And we see Alex is there, 13 reasons, holding a hammer. Now, he was not killed, we find out, because when the dude got up to get the shears and found the body again... He didn't find the limp body of 13 Reasons. He found the limp body that he never got an opportunity to dispose of, of money. And he stabbed money with the garden shears, not Alex. So Alex was, yes, knocked out and really fucked up. And he absolutely has a concussion. Um, Broken nose, broken bones in his face, I'm sure. (laughs) But he's not dead. So he ends up hitting the guy, knocking him out. Not killing him. No. Why not? I don't fucking know. Alex is focused on the crime. Because if they kill the guy, the circumstances, since they're inside, like, they don't have any way of saying, we were in fear for our life. Yeah, because he was going to kill you because he was in fear for his life. Like, that's all the argument would be, right? So... No, they can obviously show what he was doing. Right, but those circumstances might not apply to who's actually at fault when we're talking about fear for life. Yes, he's a bad person, but that might not apply to the other crime, right? So, in any case, he's insistent that they don't kill the guy, that they just lock him up. And what he says is, he can't tell anybody about this. We can take the money, 
get out of here without killing him, and he is effectively buying our silence. He can't tell anyone about the money, because then they'd have to know that they broke in. You're gonna rot in prison for what you've done. Rocky, we can't involve the cops now. If we steal a million in cash and then leave the cops here, he'll tell them about us. Our plot is all over, they'll get to us in a second. Look, he's buying our silence. He needs us to take the money. It's one or the other. We didn't even mention the fact that it's actually like a million, a million dollars. dollars. Yeah, uh-huh. It's not just get. a couple hundred thousand. It's a million dollars. So it's a lot more than they thought it was going to be. And they just leave him handcuffed. And they go to leave. Or at least just knock him out again. Right. They don't do that. No. They go to leave. And as they're leaving, they open the door and Alex gets shot. Oh, we didn't say what Rocky does. Oh, she like kicks him a bunch too, right? And Oh, she, yeah, she rams the turkey baster in his mouth. Which is great. It's very graphic looking. I don't too. really like. I don't really like her line after that. She say something like about how that tastes. How, how's that taste? Yeah, uh-huh. but it's a really great moment, and he's so he's so disgusted by it, and it's so great. Yeah. So they go up to leave. Thirteen reasons is shot. He got out of the cuffs, and he got a gun. Now we don't see how, but we imagine he had keys on him. They didn't check or anything. I mean, he obviously had the keys to lock her up. They didn't think to see if he had the keys on him when they locked him up. So that's their bad. Obviously not enough reason to die. So he dies, and now it's her versus him. She gets outside, and she's like, what can you do now? I'm out here. You're useless out here. You're not inside your house that you know so well that I can't get around in. We're out in the open. What are you going to do? You can't shoot me, nothing. And then he just stands there, and then out comes the dog. Mm-hmm. So now she's running from the dog. She makes it back to Money's car, and she gets in the car, but the money is still outside. The million dollars in her backpack is still outside. So there's a whole Cujo scene of her dealing with the dog. She thinks really well, comes up with this great plan. And drops down the back seat, opens up the hatchback with a rope tied in it, waits for the dog to jump in the hatchback, slams the, the hatchback closed and the back seat up again, trapping him in there. But she doesn't get out in enough time. He manages to bust through the back seat, but she attaches that rope to his collar and he can't get close enough to her. And it's this this Alien 3 moment, which David Fincher again... <laughs> Of it, like, face right up in her face, and she's, like, leaning backwards against it. Mm-hmm. So, tons of Fincher influence. This guy obviously loves Fincher. Um, but she's able to get out of the car, get the money, and subsequently be attacked by the dude. Yeah. So, this just does not end. <laughs> it keeps going. So, this leads us back to the original shot of him dragging her. Yes. So she gets dragged back into the house. And I have another issue with this, too. If his plan is to use her to carry a child, you would think he would want to keep that body in better shape than he's been doing. He, he wrecks up her face. And I understand your face isn't necessary for childbearing, but you don't know the kind of damage you're doing internally. Right. I think he's very angry. He obviously has temper issues. <laughs> 
when he kills money, he punches a hole in the wall. He's so angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but she manages, as she's being dragged along, to grab that alarm control that's been throughout this movie and hit the alarm. And the siren goes off and it's disorienting him. So now he has no sight and no sound. And he is really disoriented. The music here, I think, is really great. Uh, it's really cool. We can talk about what they did with the music. Um, very briefly, they used a lot of um, fabricated instruments made out of metal and other um, non-standard items above water, underwater, to give it these really interesting sounds, make it really dingy and dark. And it does a really, there's a staccato piano action going on at this point that's really discordant, along with the alarm wailing at the same time. So it's really, really neat. This guy's like, he's very talented. And she gets a crowbar and just like hits him and hits him and hits him. And he ends up falling down into the basement because the basement is not a stairway down, it's a ladder down. And she looks down there and she sees that he's all sprayed out, doesn't bother checking. She doesn't want to go down there, but she leaves the house just as the police are showing up from the alarm. Mm -hmm. Cut to the train station or the bus station or wherever that she is with her little sister. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go to California when she sees on the news a story about a blind man who fended off two robbers who broke into his house and this vet that we respect who is blind, who has a disability, managed to fight them off and kill them and survive. And he says that nothing was stolen. Yes. This Vista belongs to a retired army vet who fought for our country in Iraq and lost his sight as a result of a grenade splinter. Last night, two burglars broke into his home and attempted to rob and brutally attack him. This visually impaired man was able to defend himself, shooting and killing both his attackers on the spot. Now, the man did sustain some injuries, but doctors say he is in stable condition. He'll be released from the hospital soon and able to return to his home. No goods were reported stolen by the victim. So... That million dollars did buy her silence. And she walks away. And again, this is another problem for me. She doesn't seem to give a fuck about the fact that this man is going to do it again. No, she doesn't. She's, well, it's going to be a lot more difficult for him to do it again. How is he going to capture somebody at this point? Um, I mean, he did capture that first woman, I guess, but he has no resources. All of his money's gone. He's going to have to live on what he gets from Veterans Affairs or whatever. So... Yeah, but I think, again, her motivation, again, get the money, get out of Detroit. That's all she cares about. It. That is it. And uh, and that's kind of the point, is there are no good guys in this story. There's not a single good guy. Excuse me? 13 reasons. No. Okay, so, yeah, he robs he has, people. He, ha- he does what he feels to be a victimless crime. <laughs> But he decides to go along with this crime that insurance won't cover, that is a felony. But he does it for love. I know that doesn't make him a good guy, though. I'm sorry. He is likable, but he's not a good guy. I like him. Yes, I said he is likable, but it doesn't make him a good guy. Anyway, that's the plot. So, it is a... A lot of stuff happens in this movie. I was recounting it. There's a guy at work who asked me, oh, so what are the movies coming up this week? And he's like, it's funny because he does not like horror movies (laughs) at all. 
he can't get through them. They, they freak him out. And so I was telling him about this one, and he's like, go ahead and spoil it. I will never watch this movie. <laughs> and I, like, tell him, and I realize, oh, that's a twist, and then that's a twist, and then that's a twist, and then it just keeps going. <laughs> and then the extremity with the, with the pregnancy issue and all of that, and he's like, this movie sounds wild. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is. It's very wild. I like it a lot. I think it has a lot of plot holes. I know Chris doesn't agree with no, me. No, I think it does have plot holes. I just don't care about them as much as you do. They really bother me. Like, it's it's all I can focus on. And that, I think, coupled with the fact that I was extraordinarily angry the first time I saw it when 13 Reasons died. He's such a cutie. Which makes me sad because he's nine years younger than me. <laughs> I'm so fucking old. Anyway, so... 13 Reasons died, and I think after that, in the movie theater, I was like, fuck this movie. Right. And when I walked out, I was like, I hated it, just because of that. Watching it a second time, knowing he was going to die, allowed me to relax about that whole situation. Yeah. The plot holes were still there and still bugged me, but I was able to watch it from a perspective of, I already know everything that's going to happen, so I don't need to be on the edge of my seat, taking everything in, I can watch it from the back of my seat. Right. And I can take it all in. And it's really well made. And Rocky is, she's not a good person. No. But she is badass. She's a badass. She is a total bad. She's like an Ellen Ripley style badass because this evokes Alien quite a bit. If she wasn't such a bitch, I'd be down for right. her. Yeah. But then again, you understand why she's a bitch. You understand why she's only looking out for number one. Right. I just wonder what it must have been like to not know anything about the old man and just think that he's a victim from the outset. <laughs> right? Like that, I, but that could only happen once. And then every other time, the movie still needs to stand up on repeat watchings. And I think it does. It didn't even get that, though, because the trailer told us that yeah. he, he, does, he does something. Now, the trailer did not tell us that he had a girl locked up in his uh, basement. Right. But we knew that he... That he is terrorizing these children in his home. Yes. And that's what we should be afraid of. Yes. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, otherwise you don't really know that it's like a horror thriller, right? Like, you don't know that it is. There are, there are things they could have done, but now that I think about it, the things that they could have done that I'm thinking of might have made it seem like it was going to be a supernatural yeah. horror, which it's not. So... And I like that, I guess. I like that there are a bunch of little touches in it. He talks about how there is no God and that man can do anything once he realizes that there is no God. You see around the house that there were crosses on the wall that have since been removed. Um, so he used to be a religious man. When you find out where the safe is, so progression of events, they think the safe is in the locked door, which actually leads to the basement where the girl is chained up. Then money is shot. Then the safe is revealed. Nobody, not in the movie or in the audience, stops to think, wait, then why was the door locked? Oh, I did. This time, sure. No, no, I totally did in the movie, I, in the theater. I. It's just, it's, there's not really enough time to be thinking about it because this movie That's is my point. very well paced. That's my point. It is paced so well that you don't, there's nothing that's like, oh, but what about the door? Like, you're still really surprised when there's something down there. Like, they're traveling down there 
and trying to get out and you're just like, oh, this is just still them trying to get away from this murderous guy. You're not thinking the door was locked and it was locked for a reason. What's down there? It's just paced so well that it just pulls you along. It's very well paced. Yeah. It's a very well made movie. It, like we said, he does a lot to try and emulate Fincher. He's just not as good at it as Fincher is. Right. And that shows. And that's a problem. I feel like maybe he's, Fede Alvarez, the director, like maybe he subconsciously apes Fincher a lot. I don't know if he consciously does it, but he knows what he thinks looks cool. I don't think he necessarily knows why Fincher does the things that he does. <laughs> and so it he it prevents him from following certain rules that Fincher has, like with the close-ups, for instance. Mm-hmm. He wastes close-ups. He just throws them out everywhere in this movie. So probably, I I think this guy is super talented. I never saw the Evil Dead remake, and I've heard only good things about it. So I'm going to be really excited when we eventually get to watch that. I, yeah, I think the guy's very, very talented. He's not a Fincher, but I can't wait to see what he does next. On here, I have. So, he is doing a couple movies right now. This is the last movie he made that was released. He is doing, <laughs> currently filming, The Girl in the Spider's Web, which is Elizabeth Salander, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah which was the American version was directed by David Fincher. And he's doing the second one? He's doing The Girl in the Spider's Web. I don't know if that's the second. Isn't the second one The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest? So he might be doing the fourth one. Uh, I don't know which order that is. Hold on, let me find out. Why on earth would he do that? Look, you don't get to go willy-nilly back and forth in a franchise. There was never a fourth movie made. Oh, so he's making one I don't know. I don't know. That's why I'm trying to find out what the order is. I feel like Kicked the Hornet's Nest is third. I think it's The Girl Who Played With Fire is the second one. Yeah, it is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Girl Who Played With Fire, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, and The Girl in the Spider's Web is the the fourth one that um, Stieg Larsson started but never finished. Um, David Lagerkrantz finished that one, and then he wrote The Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye. Um, So there are five five novels in that series they filmed the original three not including fincher's remake of the first one right um and so he's doing the fourth one i i don't know if it's actually in sweden but he is making a fourth is it the same actress probably not because she's all fucking huge now what do you mean oh numi rapace yeah so weird because she looks so different (laughs) no but it is being played by claire foy who's that she's queen elizabeth in the crown Okay. Though I guess people thought the same thing when they heard that it was going to be Rooney Mara. Yeah. And I thought she did a great job in the remake, the Fincher one. Um, So that's one movie he's making. He's making another movie called Labyrinth. Not The Labyrinth. Labyrinth. It's about a princess looking for her father in a labyrinth. And he's making Don't Breathe 2. Oh, no. I know. What is this one about? It is oh, no. a blind man. The the blind man returns to terrorize more unsuspecting people is all that's written oh, here. No. Well, he survived. I know. And they even said we watched a bunch of the extra featurettes because we bought it. And they said, you know, he left an opening for a sequel. But it's just no. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. 
So, Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think Don't Breathe got on Rotten Tomatoes? 88. That's exactly right. <laughs> you didn't see this one? No. Don't Breathe smartly twists its sturdy premise to offer a satisfyingly tense, chilling addition to the home invasion genre that's all the more effective for its simplicity. Now, the plot is not simple. The premise is simple. It doesn't go anywhere outside this house, but the plot twists and turns, and it's really great. Uh, Metacritic, it got a 71. So, underrated or overrated? I'd say it's practically on target. Maybe I'd give it an 86. I was flirting with 90. I think I would give it an 89. Not quite a 90. It's just got too many plot holes, man. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. It's just stylish. Yeah. And a lot of And it's a little long. It's really tense. It's only an hour and a half, but there's not a lot going on in its plot. Yeah, it's the last... It's the part where she gets out to the part where she gets out. Uh Uh-huh. That whole sequence kind of drags for me, probably because they killed off 13 Reasons. Right. So. Like they get out and then they don't get out and then they get out and then they don't get out and then they get out. And it's like, yeah, it it goes on for a while there. Yeah. Uh, but but the premise is so simple that, I mean, otherwise it would have been 60 minutes long, you know. So like they do a good job of making it an hour and a half, but it does make it feel a little bit like because the events keep going. Oh, they're out. No, they're not. Oh, they're out. No, they're not. You get a little like a like a um like a yo-yo effect like a whiplash mm-hmm. to it and that makes it feel a little long not mm-hmm. that your time spent is not enjoyed and you're like why am i still watching this movie you just get that whiplash effect and you're like man it was almost over yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and again i don't like that they killed 13 reasons <laughs> he's a very pretty boy he is <laughs> um and he's, I, I'm sorry, I don't see how you don't think he's a good guy. He comes back to save her. He, uh, he puts his life on the line for her multiple times. Yeah, but not, but the only reason he has to do this is because he broke into a blind man's house to rob him. Like He was willing to give himself up to survive. Yeah, when he found out he might be murdered. It's all that bitch's fault, he's when he, dead, When he okay? found out he might be murdered. And she says she's sorry. You're only vaguely sorry. You're sorry because it happened, but you're glad you got out with the money. Right. Come on. She's a terrible person. (laughs) All right. That was 2016's Don't Breathe. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next, because now we're in summertime. Yeah. We're going to watch Sleepaway Camp. Oh, my God. And summer camp. All right. So I don't know anything about summer camp. <laughs> Sleepaway camp, we've watched probably like three times to no. get through to the end because we never finish it. We watched it twice. Once when we were super fucked up after the fair and it was not a good time to try <laughs> and watch it. And then it took me years to get Chris to finally sit down and watch it a second time. And it is so worth it. Just a warning on its it's it's transphobic. It has yes. that element to it. I don't know that I would call it transphobic, but I can understand why people it does would that think trope that. that could be harmful to the trans community. So just be aware of that. And but it's it's a fun movie. Oh it's my a, god, I'm so it's excited! A, it's a classic, <laughs> sure. 
it has a shot that is the last shot of the movie that's very famous and will and will most certainly be what we put on the website. All right. So it's camp week next week. Yeah. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. Leave a comment to share your thoughts on the movies. Recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also do that via email at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery where you might get some additional comments on the movies that we talk about here. Kelsey will sometimes live tweet some stuff. Um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. It is very, very helpful for us. And if you skip these parts, I don't like, I'm, I get it. I totally understand why people skip the promo stuff at the end, but you miss out. Sometimes we have a fun outro song and we, we do outtakes at the end that you may never even know exist. So, you know, stick around for the whole thing until next week. I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, what parting wisdom do you have to share with the audience this week? Remember, listeners, it's messed up to rob a blind guy. Silence time. So he. It's France. They don't give a fuck. I'm not going to put that in. <laughs> I'll put that in the back when it's completely removed of context and nobody knows what you're talking about. Um, that would have okay. been a smart thing to do. I don't do smart things. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of other things, but I don't remember what they're about. So I'm done. Is night. God, saying 19 is almost more than 20 years. She is being so adorable. When I can't see you, love. Oh, she's awake now. Her uh, her inner eyelid was kind of closed. Creepy. It's very, <laughs> it's very creepy. It's kind of closed on her, on her right eye. She's but her left eye is entirely open. It opened up when I said that. She's so adorable. She's very adorable. She's being cute only when I can't see her. <laughs> You're kind of googly-eyed right now, love. <laughs> uh, excuse me.